right, welcome. So excited, looking forward to this conversation today uh, with Reverend Paramon Barcel. Give a little, little bit of background on Reverend Paramon. He has been a disciple of Sri Swami Sachidananda since 1970. He has served as president of Yogaville West, the Washington, D.C., New York Institutes, and Yogaville East in Connecticut. He has also served on the Board of Trustees and Spiritual Life Board at Sachidananda Ashram Yogaville, Virginia. Parman was the editorial consultant on Inside the Yoga Sutras, as well as several of Sri Swami Sachidananda's works, including the Yoga Sutras of Patanjali. He also helped to design the first integral yoga Hatha basic teacher training program and has taught Yana Yoga, Raja Yoga, and the other branches of integral yoga for many years. And lastly, he currently serves with his life, uh, wife Lakshmi on the Ashram Prison Project and leads a weekly sutra study, uh, which they have done for the past 16 years. So quite, quite a lot there. Thank you so much for, for taking the time today, Reverend Parman. Thank you, Avi. And we're also next door neighbors. We are next door neighbors. We left out maybe the most important thing, <laughs> I mean, close proximity to uh, Avi's uh, uh, most adorable daughter, Zen, <laughs> who everyone yeah. in the ashram loves on site. <laughs> how lucky, how lucky am I? Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's it's so fun to live in this community and, and just have people such as yourself and Lakshmi just right in our vicinity. So um, maybe I did something right in, in past lives. I don't know. <laughs> maybe I did too. <laughs> nice. Um, okay. I like to uh, begin with this question that I'll ask you. What matters to you? For a long time, uh, I've been uh, to an probably uncool <laughs> degree <laughs> obsessed with uh, full awakening or enlightenment. That's what matters uh, most. Uh, I, I've always wanted to know the truth. As a young uh, kid, I thought I could get that through science and went into it deeply enough as a boy scientist to where I saw the limitations of understanding the universe with the limitations of the mind. And then I thought, okay, I'll, I'll go past just the intellect and, and, and do it with the arts and fancied myself a writer. Uh, and saw the limitation of that. When I heard the teachings of yoga for the first time in this lifetime, uh, it, it was like an explosion in my consciousness. It was like, Oh, there's a way to transcend the mind, which is the only possible way to experience the truth. Um, so that's always been the goal of my life. Um, what that's translated into uh, as what matters to me most now is uh, what Gurudev's given us as, as the path, which is very multivaried, but I would say probably his biggest emphasis was service and uh, it matters to me a lot to be of loving service uh, to one and all, uh, all the time. And uh, I see that 
as more important than my personal path to awakening. Uh, but <laughs> hopefully, hopefully my mind won't hear me <laughs> saying this, but uh, it also happens to be <laughs> the best path to awakening <laughs> that I know, of, you know, along with study and, and meditation and all the practices and, uh, you know, yana yoga and inquiry and everything. There's nothing that uh, is as powerful than love, and love is the essence of service. You serve naturally if you if you love. So that's what matters to me. <laughs> mm. Thank you. Yeah. I, so combining maybe the two things that you mentioned here, because you you talked uh, about investigating, you know, truth via the mind, you know, when you were younger. Yeah. Uh, and then now maybe coming to a place more of, of just uh, feeling and, and just loving and, and serving. So I think there's, there's a not knowing there, right? Yeah. Uh, the, in a way, it seems like a, a human uh, predicament that we can know so much. The mind is so powerful that we kind of convince ourselves that we can know everything. And we forget about the limitations of, of our knowing. Is that your experience too? Oh, absolutely. I mean, the, the only thing I know for sure is, and, and, and it's reassuring to have something that you know for sure. And that's that I don't know. <laughs> I'm confident uh, that I don't know because, uh, I, and I never will, because yoga is not about uh, the individual knowing. The yoga is is about uh, transcending that limited I and experiencing the truth as oneself. Uh, which, whatever that brings to mind, those words, I know is incorrect <laughs> because those words are mental, mm. right? And the mind is, by definition, not capable of understanding the truth. But it can lead you to transcend itself. That's the magic of it. It can lead you to an awakening where you experience yourself as truth. Yeah, and I think th this this awakening seems to be connected to humility. That mm -hmm. you know when I when I'm really feeling humble about what I can know and what I can't know, it's like this this oh, it's this refreshing breath of of relaxation where it's just like oh yeah, like I I don't need to know everything you know and i don't i don't know because it's it's so tied in with with the truth but it seems that maybe our culture is really far on the other end of these things where everyone is really strong about their opinions and i know what's right and what's wrong it, it almost seems like to be genuinely uh humble is a very rare quality yeah they you reminding me of a favorite Hasidic story. I don't remember the Rebbe's actual name, but this is a, a, a true Hasidic Rebbe from years ago. I mean, Hasidic meaning, for those who don't know, you know, this is the mystical branch. It's like Sufism is to Islam, Hasid 
the real Hasidic movement is to, uh, is to Judaism. And uh, so this rabbi was known, let's call him Moisha, I don't remember the name, as Moisha the Humble. And uh, all of his students called him Moisha the Humble, Rev Moisha the Humble. And once um, uh, his, uh, a, a, a new visitor questioned him and said, well, if you're so humble, why do you allow them to call you Moisha the Humble? Mm. And he said, well, actually, it's not a joke. I'm doing the accent as if I'm <laughs> telling one of my many Jewish jokes that I love and other jokes. But uh, it's actually supposedly what he said. He said, I'm so humble that I don't even think that being humble is a virtue. <laughs> mm. So it's not a problem. Mm. Yeah. Guridev used to talk a lot about uh, the, uh, the greatness of being able to say, I don't know. In fact, he said it was probably the greatest thing. He loved a Zen monk who visited us once back in the 70s, who basically, when he gave satsang, the Zen monk, uh, he, he, the main thing that he would say over and over again is, and Gurdjieff liked to do a little imitation of him, so I'll do an imitation. I had a very deep voice, and he would go, I don't know. <laughs> and you'd ask him anything, and he would say, I don't know. I mean, he did, he did have other things to say, but that was... That was the essence of it. And Gurdjieff loved that. He loved that. And he mentioned a, um, a I believe, a South Indian saying. Uh, most, uh, many of his sayings were from where he grew up in India, in the South, in Tamil Nadu. And he would, uh, and he would quote, uh, the saying was, uh, uh, you, you should give an elephant, which is like a very big offering, right? The, the big offering of an elephant for one thing that's so valuable. And what is that one thing? To be able to say, I don't know. Mm. Yeah. Same teaching. Yeah. Is it, is it like a new way of, of living, like a, a total paradigm shift where, you know, I have to make decisions for my life, what to do with my time here and there? But instead of trying to find the right answer, you know, I open up to the reality that I'm, I'm really just like guessing, like I'm feeling for this or I'm feeling for that. But, but ultimately, I, I don't know what's, what's right for me. <laughs> right. Well, well if, 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 uh, if you have, see, I'm mixing <laughs> a true integral yogi, I guess, I, 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 uh, or, or else I'm just extremely mixed up. But I'm mixing <laughs> yana yoga, bhakti yoga. I, that, that's what I love about integral yoga. Um, some people would say you should be all one way, just intellectual or just devotional or just uh, whatever. I've always felt that we're all of those things. M many of us are. Some people are just very comfortable with self-inquiry and analysis and they're yana yogis and they don't want to hear any of the, and that's perfectly fine. I'm very much the uh, other extreme from that. Uh, even in a given day, uh, there is many moments where I'll feel very devotional and there's other moments where I'll feel uh, very, uh, uh, I, I, investigative, more of a yoga approach, and other times that I feel more uh, 
that it's all based on practice, you know, more of Raja yoga or karma yoga, feeling more active. I just want to serve. So I have always felt that one of the greatnesses of integral yoga is that you can, you can integrate all of these aspects of your personality. So, you know, the karma yoga practical side, uh, you know, boldly makes decisions and just, you know, does some work, does some service. Uh, but uh, what I was going to say is that if you have faith that you're in God's hands, which is, of course, the essence of the bhakti approach, then you have nothing to worry about, you know, because your decisions are not going to be your decisions. You know, where did the idea come from that you should have that question? And where did the idea come from that you should have that decision? If you have faith in it, and sometimes I put, I just put God on the spot. I just say uh, that, uh, um, uh, you know, I'm going to take it that this is your decision for me. And if it isn't, I know that you can make it clear. So I have complete confidence <laughs> that I'm just going to go forward and follow, follow uh, what seems like the right dish my mind like that in a blink of an eye. So uh, you'll do that. Does this have to do also with, you know, our relationship to time itself, right? Like I can get hung up about if I made a, a different decision in the past, what my life would have been like if I took this other job or traveled to this different place or, uh, you know, married this other person, but I didn't do those things. And it's impossible to know what that road would have been like. So the only reality is the actual road that we're all traveling on. But it seems like, you know, regrets are, <laughs> are very, very easy to have, to have regrets as opposed to total acceptance of what is happening in my life, including the challenging things, because, you know, is it not, not very true that in the suffering, in the challenge, I, I learn something that, you know, allows me to, um, you know, exist even better, but, but ultimately it's even, I think death is the elephant in the room there too, because, you know, even, even if I die, you know, right, right now in this moment, am I, am I cool with that? And can I accept that that was what was supposed to happen simply because that's what happened? Hmm. Yeah. I mean, the, the, you're talking about some of the biggest challenges in life. I mean, re, uh, regret and, you know, you, you don't have acceptance of what is, which would uh, one way that that comes is with total faith. That's good. I was fond of saying uh, uh, one of his greatest mantras for me is he would often say, past is past. Just that, past is past. It's already behind you. Just forget it. You know, don't brood about the past. Don't worry about the future. Just live in the golden present. So, when the regrets come, it's nice that they're gnawed us and that they're painful because that pain is an immediate reminder. Oh, I'm, I'm not in the, in the present. 
you know, I, I'm dwelling on something that's already passed. Of course, uh, now that, that's the Pakti answer. The boy scientist is uh, that, uh, you know, you say, uh, uh, you know, whatever we chose, we chose. And you know, I'm sure you know that, you know, a lot of quantum physicists nowadays believe in this uh, many worlds theory and believe that the entire universe branches every time we make a decision and that there's another universe in which we have followed that path, which is uh, mind boggling. I find it very unsatisfying <laughs> as a uh, scientific theory. Uh, and yet, there is a work by Master Shivananda that describes that uh, vividly, a, a, a rare translation that he did of the, the Yoga Vashishta that only in one of the editions has a story called uh, uh, the story of Leela, appropriately. The queen's name is Leela. Leela is the divine play. So this is all a play. And in that, the goddess Saraswati comes to the grieving queen who can't get over the death of her husband and takes her for a spectacular science fiction-esque tour of, uh, of the many worlds, worlds in which uh, the, the king isn't dead and worlds in which they have all sorts of different lives, all these parallel branching worlds. So as much as I uh, don't particularly love thinking about many worlds theory, because uh, it sounds so, uh, there's something unsatisfying about it for me. There's Master Shivananda before any of this uh, was uh, even known in, in Western physics, laying all of that out. And then mysteriously, as if to demonstrate the many worlds, I've seen other editions of the same book from the Divine Life Society, and they don't have that version. <laughs> Of, of the story. So that seems to be a many worlds thing itself. So I, anyway, I'm going all over the map with uh, uh, regrets. And your question was uh, about time. I think uh, that anything that divorces us from the golden present is painful because it's what pain is, it means that we're violating our true nature. My, I'm not meant to drink nitric acid. So if I drink, try to drink nitric acid, then hopefully before I can even get a drop, you know, or, or half a drop, uh, I'll feel terrible pain because it violates my nature. I, that's not something that uh, my, that body can handle. Well, neither is brooding about the past or worrying about the future. That's why they cause us pain, because we're violating our very own nature. So in a way, it's a wonderful thing that we get those instant feedback that shows us uh, a course correction back to the present. There's never any problem in the present. And the problem with death, the elephant in the room, yeah, it's a big elephant in the room. A lot of the teachings of, uh, of yoga don't really... Uh, entirely work or aren't satisfying the teachings about suffering, for example, uh, if death is real. You know, the fact that death is not real, which is, you know, core teaching of the Bhagavad Gita, uh, core teaching of Gurudev's uh, and of, of many of the yoga scriptures, uh, means that uh, there's, there's 
there's always another chance we go on. So the suffering is not uh, some final punishment, you know, uh, the person born with a disability that isn't like, why would God do that terrible thing uh, to their one and only life? No, it's just a, it's just a, it's a, it's a lesson for a particular time designed to take the soul closer to enlightenment. Hmm. Which is something we, by the way, we apply to ourselves, not to others. We don't look at somebody else suffering and, and say, oh, you know, <laughs> you don't have to worry about anything. You know, your suffering isn't real. It isn't final. No, all these teachings are best applied to us and not uh, in any way imposed on others. Right. And yeah, when I think even about myself and, and how to utilize that teaching, I, I think I can utilize it in, in terms of my perception of what's happening, you know, on a global scale, on uh, just the, the, the totality of, of the unfoldment that I, it's, it's so, if I, if I look at what's happening, you know, examples of, of, you know, horror and tremendous amounts of suffering, and then also, you know, wonderful things that, that, that are happening, like, you can't put this stuff on a spreadsheet, you know, and like, okay, I'm going to put all the really bad things that have happened throughout history. And I'm going to put all the really good things. And I'm going to try to tally it up and, and see whether or not the good things, uh, you know, total up to a higher number than the bad things. Like it's so impossible. And, and for me, that's a great example of, of my limitation of, of why I should not know because I can't, I can't know. I'm just, I'm just a human. I'm a part of this whole thing that's, that's happening. And why not trust? And that, that's a big question for me in terms of faith. Like, why not, why not trust and, and, and have faith? And, and I can tell that when I do that, I seem to be operating on a, I'll say a, a healthier frequency than yeah. when I'm doubting. Yeah. Yeah, uh, Reverend Jagannath, uh, my uh, dear brother, is uh, very fond of saying that the the real essential definition of yoga is that uh, uh, yoga is what. Uh, let me try for the right verb. Uh, it, it completely re releases you from suffering. Suffering. Yeah. So why not trust? You know, because the opposite, uh, leading leading a life of distrust causes more and more suffering. Leading a life of regret causes more and more suffering. Leading a life of, uh, uh, you know, of fearing death, you know, and seeing the world as completely unjust just causes more and more suffering. Hmm. And whatever suffering and negativity we see in the world, at the same, why are we just focusing on that? It's because it, at the very same time that that's going on, there's tremendous beauty. Of course, there's a you know there's a, a big chunk of uh, the world that uh, is you know constantly pushing the most negative, scary uh, uh, you know ideas and news at us because I guess it sells advertising. Well, I think it's, I think it's selling something else too, that, you know, mm -hmm. to be kind of, you know, a, a doomsayer, everything is falling apart, yeah. right? Like the argument 
that's someone that has that perspective, like, you know, things are terrible for someone who is, oh, you know, trusting uh, in the unfoldment, they would say, well, you're not going to do anything to fix things um, because you don't realize, because you're just using, you know, faith as essentially an excuse not to serve, right? Like there seems to be a connection between feeling that everything is terrible and actually fixing and making, making things better. Right. And, uh, they just, they just think that if, if, if you did trust, then you would just become lazy and you wouldn't take any action that would be beneficial. But what if it's the, actually the opposite is the case. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. That you get paralyzed because you think everything is so terrible that there's no point, which you hear a lot. (laughs) uh, some 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 great minds and people that I love and admire, uh, and you know I'm not talking about uh, sangha folks, but uh, uh, everyone's our sangha ultimately. Uh, get paralyzed by by that kind of thinking, you know, that the uh, the end is near, <laughs> the end is here, <laughs> and there's plenty of evidence for that. But there's also plenty of evidence for there being some of the most beautiful manifestations of humanity that, that you'll ever see right now in the human spirit. Uh, not to mention all of nature. Mm. And, and so none of what I'm saying means don't do anything. Uh, but uh, if we go forward doing, uh, trying to serve, trying to fix problems, trying to address them, all of which is excellent, but we, but we do it coming from a very unpeaceful place, uh, that work and service is not going to be uh, at a very high level. I mean, what if Martin Luther King uh, Jr. had uh, only had doom and gloom and not had a dream and not seen, you know, not being been able to say, you know, I've been to the mountaintop. I, I, I mean, how how we wouldn't be quoting him now, you know, almost everything that we quote uh, is because he had this tremendous faith and positivity. And some people would say, yeah, but look what happened to him. And I would say, yeah, look what happened to him. He, tra- he transformed the world and uh, he knew uh, in the end that it was uh, worth risking his life to do that. What could be better? You know, is just having a few more decades <laughs> make your life better? I don't think so. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, right. Exactly. Like, what? How are we assessing a uh, a quality life or what we want to live? Like, just in, in the amount of time and the amount of years or the amount of 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 impact that we're able to have. And you know, taking us back to service. Then, and for me, my my favorite teaching probably uh, from Sri Gurudev is, you know, who will be the happy happiest, the one who brings happiness to others, and it. I think it's so powerful because this is actually like the paradigm shift to, that changes everything, whether or not I actually believe that, right? Or is that just like a, a, a fuzzy, uh, fluffy saying that sounds really good? But what are the implications if I actually believe and discover that this is the truth, that by living a life of service, I'm going to find, it's actually the most selfish thing. So it's like by being selfless, I'm actually in a very deep way being selfish at serving myself 
by 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 doing it. It's like this contradiction type of type of thing. But is that not really the case? Like it seems to me that we all feel really good when we're able to have a positive impact on other people, environment, yeah. nature, everything. Well, and he's very specific. It's not grandiose. He doesn't say who will be the happiest person, the one who removes the suffering of others, the one who, you know, removes the problems in the world. He just says the one who brings happiness to others. And uh, that could be, uh, you know, uh, your daughter smiling at somebody, <laughs> you know, it could be me smiling at somebody, not quite as effective as your daughter. <laughs> but I was once cute. <laughs> uh, I have no doubt that this is true in my life, even though I don't know anything. I do know what my experience has been. My experience is it's not a theory. These aren't lofty words to live up to. This is absolutely my day-to-day -day experience is that when I bring happiness to others, I'm the happiest. I totally forget uh, my pains, my woes, physical pains, mental pains, all of that goes. Uh, if I'm just sharing love, sharing joy uh, with others, uh, there's nothing like, uh, like that. Um, in the All Face Hall of Lotus, you know, the, uh, for those who may not know, the downstairs portion has um uh display areas that correspond to the altars upstairs of all the different faiths and in the uh, islamic section the, each of these has a bunch of quotes and a bunch of artifacts and very all inspiring things there's a quote that says uh it, it, to paraphrase it because i don't remember the exact words uh it says that there's a place in heaven for somebody uh who brings laughter to anyone else, <laughs> you know? I've always mm. uh, loved that because uh, I'm a good joke teller. So, <laughs> 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 so I've done my fair share. Uh, who will be the happiest person? That's uh, absolutely true, not a theory. I, another big example of it in, uh, that comes to my mind is uh, I, I love to cook um, uh, and have cooked, you know, many a, a delectable dish over the years. And I think anybody who cooks knows the answer to this, which is better when you cook something really good and you're about to eat it and you get it just the way you want and you go, oh, this is fantastic. Or, and you're by yourself and you eat it or cooking that and finding someone else that you love mm -hmm. uh, and saying, taste this and then you eat it together. There's no question, any cook knows that, you know, sharing it makes it not just twice as good. It's like, you know, a thousand fold better, you know? So uh, yeah, it's beautiful. It's, it, mm. it, it's, it's the way to live. It's, it's, that's such a good example, very clear. And can, can it be like a compass for us in, in our lives? Like, let's say I'm going through, going through a change and I don't know what to do. You know, I, I need a new job or I'm moved to a new place. And like, so often, you know, we need to make a decision and uh, what am I using to make that decision? Right. Okay. Like I need to make a certain amount of money and uh, have certain people around all these things. But what if bringing happiness to others was the compass 
And I had faith in that if I do that, everything else is just going to be taken care of. So like I'm in the starting position point and how I'm, what, the question I'm using to move from that position is what can I do that will bring happiness to others? Yeah, it's beautiful. Yeah, what, what a great compass. I like the way you put that. <laughs> that yeah, you, you know, and you feel the expansion of that, right? You feel the spaciousness of that kind of thought and you feel total contraction if it's as soon as you think what, what do i need to make me happy <laughs> you you feel yourself shrivel down and there's immediately a lot of fear because that can be taken away from you but giving happiness to others you know and, and even there of course you can't be attached to giving to seeing them uh you know uh happy because of what you did you know uh, but you but that intention is enough to free you. Mm. So if I find myself uh, conflated by, you know, my problems and, you know, and like everybody, I experience my share of that. Um, uh, the, the very best thing I can do is to just forget myself and, you know, uh, have some loving uh, happiness sharing <laughs> with anybody else. You know, to get get out, get out of your head. It, it's amazing. It's like it's the greatest. I mean, people talk about, uh, you know, all their favorite uh, pain remedies and anodynes. And, you know, uh, you know, some people are uh, are trying to, uh, uh, you know, drug or intoxicate themselves out of pain. There is nothing that can come even close uh, in, uh, pain relief, <laughs> not temporary pain relief, but real pain relief as, uh, sharing, loving, uh, happiness with others. There's nothing. And those are all, by the way, those are the same. We don't have to parse. Well, am I sharing love? Am I sharing happiness? Am I sharing light or am I sharing peace? To me, those are all the same thing. All the same thing. Like when we say, may the entire universe be filled with peace and joy, love and light. Those are all the same. You have any one of those, you've got all of them. But I think you you hit upon an important factor, and that's lightness. Uh, yeah. Right. Not being too invested in the outcome. So it seems like very very human to set an intention. Okay, I have an intention to build this thing or do this thing, but how much am I holding on to the outcome of what what that's going to be? So to me this is like the sweet spot to get to is like, okay, I choose the intentions that, that feel really good and resonate with me, but I'm still not holding on too tightly. I'm still just right. Looking at it all. Like it's the Lilo, the, it's the play. Like we'll see what happens with it. I got to move in some direction. So I'll move in this one, but we'll see what happens. Yeah. You def uh, defines my favorite definition that he gives of, uh, of karma yoga, uh, or service is that uh, it's action done just for the joy of it, just for the joy of acting. Mm. You can't you can't do action for the joy of acting if you're holding on to a result. Result, yeah. And if mm. you're holding on to the result, you're not really caring about the other person. That's just disguised. They must be happy. They must be safe. That's just disguised ego. You know what you're really saying is. If I don't see them appreciating what I give and loving it and being happy and being benefited, I won't be happy. 
it all comes back to that. You have to let go of that. That's acting for the joy of acting. It's like someone once said about dance that a dancer, uh, when they move from one side of the stage to the other, the dance isn't about uh, moving from one side of the stage to the other. It's about, it's just about the joyous movement. Mm. Mm. The process. Mm. Yeah, not, not uh, setting, it's not, it's not the objective of Barishnikov or Fred Astaire or whoever you want to name, <laughs> you know, to get from point A to point B. <laughs> That's never the objective. Okay, so let me ask you that in terms of uh, the word enlightenment. And it seems that even in the, the spiritual community, right? Like enlightenment, enlightenment can be set as a goal. Right. Uh, right. And, and so is, is that a reasonable goal to set or am yeah. I instead just okay with the process of moving toward that endlessly? Yeah. Better be. <laughs> <laughs> I must be enlightened. I must be enlightened right now. That's a way to completely drive yourself crazy and ensure that you won't <laughs> that you won't be enlightened. That's like lying in bed and 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 going, you know, having insomnia and going, going. I want to sleep now. <laughs> Why can I sleep now? <laughs> if you if you've ever tried that, <laughs> it doesn't work. Um, uh, on the other hand. Uh, Having it as a goal uh, reminds me of uh, a favorite uh, experience of mine, which was when I was a little kid, uh, I used to have nightmares. Uh, I don't remember what age, but I was very young. I was having very bad nightmares and I was in one of these nightmares. I was being chased through a haunted house and, um, and uh, it looked like a typical haunted house. Uh, that you've seen in movies and I was being chased by a nameless faceless monster I never actually saw what was behind me nipping at my heels but I knew it was huge and it was a, that it was a monster and it was going to devour me so I'm running 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 and you know how those dreams are they just start in the middle sometimes and so I'm immersed in that and there's one of those big winding central staircases that you often have in haunted houses so I start running up the winding Central staircase, landing of the second floor, landing of the third floor, landing of the fourth floor. That's the top floor. There's nowhere else to go. It's nipping at my heels. It's right there. I look up and there's a low ceiling over my head and there's a trap door. And in the dream, I jumped up and I threw open the door <clears throat> from this dark, smoky, haunted house. Uh, somehow, it was a great feat of <laughs> athleticism. I threw open the trap door grabbed the sides, pulled myself through just as I was about to get, you know, like if you've been doing the cartoon version, I was about to be, <laughs> to be snatched, but I just made it. And the door slammed shut behind me. And I'm suddenly in this bright white attic room like this, you, you know, the way that might look, but everything's painted white, the floor, the ceiling, the walls are all white there. Everything's white. It's completely empty except for one thing right in front of me. It, and this is going to come back to that point, believe it or not, is, is uh, a, a woman dressed all in black in a black rocking chair in this dazzling bright white room. So there was a tremendous contrast, the monster, the darkness, the smokiness, and bam, bright light. 
And the woman looked like the painting Whistler's mother that I think everyone knows what that looks like. It looked just like that in profile on the rocking chair, black. But to a little kid, this was like a witch, which makes it sound that much more remarkable. I didn't know from Whistler's mother as a little, you know, three, four, five-year-old, whatever I was. So she's right in front of me and she turns her head to, to look at me from the rocking chair. Uh, and for some reason, I don't feel any fear. And this is all happening, boom, boom, very, very fast. She turns her head and looks at me. I can even to this day, remember her eyes. There was something about that. Uh, and she says, uh, and she says, do you want to wake up? I told you we'd get back to enlightenment. <laughs> she said, do you want to wake up? And I went, I, I didn't say, well, let me think about that for a while. <laughs> that is not what happened. I said, yes, <laughs> like that. Do you want to wake up? Yes. And she, and then she, she initiated me on the spot. So obviously she was actually the guru. And she said, repeat, this is what she said. I'm a little Jewish boy, Philadelphia, you know? Uh, and she says, repeat, woo, woo, woo. Now, uh, a lot of people laugh when they hear that because it, it, it sounds funny. It sounds funny to me too, but it turns out that woo is uh, the uh, in, it, it is is a name of the absolute in uh, in in Chinese in in Taoism uh, the the field that is that the yin yang symbol rests on the empty field is known as the Wu the absolute so it actually is a divine name so she says do you want to wake up yes repeat Wu 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 so I go. Well, I didn't say, what does that mean? Why should I do that? What do you mean repeat? No, you know, the monster had just almost got me by the heels. I started repeating, woo, 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 woo. Next thing you knew, I was awake, repeating it out loud, awake in my bed, you know? So that's what I think about enlightenment. It's like, it's not, it's not uh, a choice or something to think about. Uh, if you know deep in your soul that you, yes, you want to wake up, uh, then it's not only a question of there's nothing wrong with it. <laughs> you have no choice, mm. you know, and that happens uh, when you're suffering enough. Mm. How long did you repeat woo, woo, woo for? It, it, it wasn't long, just a few, you know, maybe three, four repetitions. And then I was awake repeating it. And then I stopped because I saw that I was awake. And the footnote to that is that for what seems in my memory like years afterward, uh, maybe it wasn't, you know, because I was a little kid, but for, a, let's just say a long time afterward, whenever I ha would have a nightmare, a moment would come uh, of, of lucidity, lucid dreaming, so to speak, where I would go, oh, I know what to do. And I would mm. woo, 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 and I'd wake up. Yeah. Hmm. So it was a, it was a, it was a good initiation and it was Japa and it was the guru and it was, yeah, it was pretty amazing. Divine mother, Shakti, guru, whatever you want to call that. It's like, it comes back, it comes back for me to this moment. 
and what is possible in this moment, right? So like how to be enlightened, be enlightened. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, if, uh, if you're cold and you know, you want to wake up, then, you know, on the other hand, if I had repeated woo, 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 and had not woken up right away, what would I do? Stop. I think I would have just kept repeating, (laughs) you know, have to do something. Of course, yeah, of course, you know, I know, you know, but, you know, Gurudev's basic teaching about all this is you already are enlightened. We all are. We just I love when he says would say this. You're already enlightened. You just don't know it, (laughs) which is an interesting that's so interesting. The idea that you're already enlightened, just don't know it. But it actually does make a big difference that you're already enlightened because I already was actually lying in my bed, not a part of the haunted house world at all. That didn't actually exist. It didn't exist outside of me. It was within all the teachings that sound so strange and philosophical or new agey or whatever about, Oh, it's all within you. Uh, you know, the monster is within you. It's all, it's literally true. When you wake up from a dream, you say, well, where was the dream? Where was the house? Where was, where was the whole universe that that house existed in, the whole world? Where was the monster? Where was the guru, the, the old lady? That was, you'd, you'd have to say, well, that was just in me. That was my dream. And I, I was already awake. I just didn't know. Yes. Awake, meaning being in my safe bed. Right. See, I, th- I think of um, then wanting to just be like an investigator, internal investigator, which makes makes the most sense. We just like become really interested in what's happening internally. Yeah. Right. But that seems like uh, a challenge, you know, some sometimes to believe that it's all inside or that I should, you know, prioritize that really investigating what's happening inside. Yeah. Well, that's where integral yoga, like I was saying, is great. If that's the impulse that's the strongest in you, at least at that time, and by all means, investigate it. Gurudev very often, his answer to maybe one of the commonest, if not the commonest answer he would give to problem questions that he would get all the time at satsang, he, he would say, analyze, you know, why do you have that fear or analyze, you know, whatever it is, you know? So, uh, yeah, he definitely recommended it, but at other times you don't feel like that at all. And you just want to throw up your hands and say, I'll do whatever you say, or help me. It's breaking new ground, right? I think it's like, it's going where I haven't gone, like to analyze and to understand more. It's, it's uncharted territory. Yeah. And sometimes it's not so easy to go into uncharted territory. So I think for myself, I, the way I do that is by not taking myself so seriously that yeah. if I'm, I'm really taking myself seriously, then maybe I'm scared or worried about what, what it is I'm going to discover. But if it's all just light and I don't, whatever, I don't have so much investment in uh, what my standing is, so to speak, then I'm free to analyze. Yeah. Yeah. The only thing about the analysis is, that until you awaken 
you're an, you're analyzing the dream and you can figure out everything in the dream it's not the same as being awake and in fact if you freeze frame the moment when she turned to me uh, and said do you want to wake up and i said yes if we freeze frame right there and uh, you, you uh, the great interviewer entered the dream and said uh, what do you mean by that when you say you want to wake up what 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 do you mean i would honestly have to say i can i can actually do that myself i can honestly see myself at that moment in the dream and i know that my answer would be i don't know I just know that I want to wake up. I don't know what that means. I don't know what I will be when I wake up. I don't actually even know what waking up is. I just want, I want out of here. I know that, <laughs> you know, I want to transcend this, you know. It was an instinct. And I think you you yeah. emphasized saying yes immediately. Oh yeah, no and, and it was only because of the instinct. If you tried to analyze what, what does she mean by waking up? Like you said, it, it it yeah. wouldn't have had the same effect. Yeah, and I might have been devoured <laughs> in the dream. <laughs> mm. Yeah, another way to wake up. Um, we don't have too much time left, but I'm totally going to change the subject right now. But there is something okay. else I wanted to ask you about, and that is is relationship. Mm -hmm. um, just in terms of 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 being in a relationship, having a partner being in close physical proximity to another person while you're both doing this internal work and on a journey of self-discovery and there's bound to be rubbing and, and scrubbing. Um, just any, any, any reflections that you have from, from your experience with that, that how does it add to your life uh, being, being in a relationship uh, and how might it compare if you were on your own? Yeah, well, I always feel like uh, Gurudev sent me, locked me because he felt like I needed constant supervision full time. <laughs> <laughs> he said, this is a this is a person that uh, you know needs to live with me full time. Gurudev said, so he came in the form of my beloved Lakshmi, and uh, you know, uh, uh, you know. I don't want to, in the Jewish tradition, you say, I don't want to beshry. I think that's the the, the, the term too much, but uh, I'm, I'm very, very fortunate that way. He said, he, Gruda would say, in, in marriage, have a partner that uh, will make you think about God constantly uh, because they're great and inspiring and they always think of your highest. I was lucky enough to get that. He said, or equally good, make get have a partner that makes you think about god all the time because you think god <laughs> why are you doing <laughs> how could you send me somebody like that <laughs> so it can be uh a great great uh uh path the, having a partnership like that and of course uh monastics have that too they have that in in, in their sangha they're not climbing alone they have a, a group you know, no, nobody, I don't think anybody has ever, I may be wrong, but I don't think anybody has ever climbed Everest alone, ever. Mm. You know, mm. maybe I'm wrong. Maybe there's some Sherpa that, that did that. 
but uh, I, I, I think uh, it's a team effort. Uh, having that team there 100% of the time, uh, you, uh, you really need if you're like me. So if you share uh, what Gurudev said is the most important thing in marriage is if you share the same goal, then you can be like two wings uh, of one bird flying together. Uh, if, you, if you have different goals, fundamental goals, not petty little details don't matter, uh, then uh, one of you wants to go this way and one of you wants to go that way. Uh, you're not going to be able to be like two wings of, 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 of a bird. Uh, and as you grow, you will grow, you know, apart, which is okay. I mean, that happens. And, you know, that's a necessary path also. Yeah, mm -hmm. but for me, it's a tremendous thing to have to have uh, someone at your side that always thinks of your highest. Uh, and I would extend it beyond relationship, but I mean, that's a great relationship, but also the relationship with the Sangha. You know, we're lucky enough to have so many people who just want the highest for us and understand that. Uh, that's what's so great about living in community like we do of, of fellow seekers. Right. Yeah. There does seem to be this, this balance between internal and, and external, right? Mm -hmm. So like in a way, you know, you say, you know, it's all within, mm -hmm. but environment Sangha really has an effect on us too. I don't, we can't count on that, that like, Oh, if only I'm in the optimal environment, everything's going to be great. And I'm going to be happy. That's probably not the case. Uh, but it's also really helpful, like you Absolutely. said, to have, have beautiful examples uh, yeah. around you. Yeah, it's enormous. I mean, Gurudev uh, cited Sangha uh, maybe more frequently than anything. He would quote Shankaracharya, you know, the founder of... I mean, here's the, here's the founder of uh, Sanyas order that our sannyasis are a part of the Shankaracharya from many, 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 many centuries ago. And also Advaita Vedanta, you know, it's all one. There's no duality at all. You know, so you, you talk about liberation. There is no liberation because there's no bondage. All of that, all of that doesn't even exist. So it's about as extreme yana yoga as you can get. And yet he said that all you need is the company of like-minded seekers. And he, he does this four-line couplet that Gurudev would quote all of the time to us as probably being the single most important thing. You know, just get yourself in good company. Everything else follows. It's four steps. The last step is enlightenment, complete liberation, jivan mukta state. And all that you did in the first step was you got out of the bad company and put yourself, he doesn't even say get out of the bad company. He says, just put yourself in good company. Because mm -hmm. Gurudev pointed out, when you're in good company, you're not in you're not in bad company. Yeah, I, I want to ask you about. And by the uh, way, one yeah. last thing about that before yeah, you yeah. Know, all the twelve step programs, which I've got a lot of respect for, it seems to have served so many people well. Uh, they depend on sangha. You hear people that uh, take advantage of twelve step. Uh, uh, you know, talking about I really need a meeting. Some of them go to meetings, even now, I think, via Zoom or whatever. Uh, I'm a big podcast listener, so I listen to some people uh, that, that are uh, benefiting from that. And uh, they'll go to meetings every day, you know, if that's what they feel that they need. 
to uh, keep their sobriety or whatever it is that they're working through. If, to me, there's no doubt that we're we're real social creatures. Yeah, you know, we we really are on such a a core uh, root level, and I think that's why this time that we're going through is 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 really challenging for for many people that you uh, are cut off from from your sangha, from your community, um, and and you don't have touch, you don't have that interaction. I I, I don't know what the what the what the right intention to set is moving from that kind of place of what you're, you're supposed to do. All I know is that that's a difficult, difficult place to be in. Well, yeah. I mean, no doubt <laughs> that's to say an understatement, but um, Gurid have often talked about that touch by the way uh, and said that love is not expressed, doesn't have to be expressed uh, physically through physical touch. I mean, there's disciplines around monasticism, for example, that recommend against, you know, too much physical touching. And he would always say, it doesn't matter. You can still, you can love with a loving look, with a loving thought, with a loving heart, a loving word. Uh, and uh, I, I think we can touch one another in all of those ways. And primary of all those ways is with thought. We can reach out in thought. Uh, you know, Lakshmi and I uh, have a big list of everybody that we like to pray for every day. And we, uh, you know, when we're out hiking, which we like doing every day, we often list, uh, you know, everyone that we want to do prayers for. And then, you know, at the end, we do, you know, trauma comes and Sarve Sham. And uh, we really feel that connectedness through doing that. It may not, even if it's not benefiting them, it's benefiting us because it's making us feel like uh, we've reached out. We've reached out from our hearts and we'll let them know that we're keeping them in our prayers when, if it's appropriate, because that may give them some courage. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And think that, that, that might be that level that we're interacting on beyond, beyond the touch um, on this kind of energetic level is uh, maybe underemphasized uh, quite often the power of it, but it also makes me think of, of of like yes and like or you know because someone just puts a hand on your shoulder sometimes and that oh. just also speaks volumes and you just you there's a connection that happens there right and we're 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 physical creatures too so um, it seems that there would be it didn't wouldn't have to be one or the other. That they both no, no, def yeah. definitely not. And uh, I love, <laughs> I love to hug people and be hugged totally. And I love, you know, uh, you know, receiving or giving that 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 pat on the shoulder or whatever it is, or for that matter, a great massage. Um, yet, uh, what comes to mind is that mantra initiation is the touchiest of touches that I've ever experienced. It's usually conveyed. And what's called Spartan initiation is diksha. And uh, sparse diksha means that you initiate by touch. You know, you touch somebody when you, when you transmit the mantra. It's usually done that way, but it does not have to be done that way. It can be done by a look. It can be done by a word and it can be done by a thought and it can be done long distance. Gurudev specified all of those. 
And I was once in a room full of people uh, being, uh, all being uh, reinitiated. Uh, it's a long story, so I won't go into those details. But uh, he didn't, it suddenly became clear to everyone in this room that he was initiating us because uh, we'd been initiated before, but he didn't go around and touch any of us. And someone said, well, Gurudev, could you, could you go ahead and initiate us into this mantra? And he said, he said, that's what I'm doing. <laughs> he was mm. just talking. He was just talking in a very matter of fact way. And I kind of laughed inside. I mean, I was thrilled when he said that because that was my experience. When I heard the person ask, I said, you know, it, this sounds egotistic, so I'm hesitating, but what the heck? <laughs> I'm egotistic, so why not? Uh, you know, I, I was thinking, can't you feel <laughs> what's happening here? That's a that's a great example of 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 how your expectations can get in the way. Because maybe yeah. the, my guess would be that this person had an expectation for something to happen beforehand, and then it didn't. You yeah. know, and because it didn't, that got in the way of the actual experience. Yeah, yeah. But it was it was palpable. You know, you could feel you could feel that you were being touched for sure. Um, Gurudev also says that in his affirmations for inner peace, he talks about healing and transmitting uh, healing to others. If you have a lot of energy that you can transmit it through your touch. And he said, if you have really a lot of energy, you can, it's right there in that recording, affirmations for inner peace. He says, if you really have a lot of energy, uh, you can transmit it long distance through thought alone. That's more or less a quote. So yeah, we can, we can touch. Mm -hmm. And uh, this is a good time to cultivate that. Yeah. Reverend Parman, thanks so much uh, for taking this time. It's really been, been such a pleasure to connect with you. Um, I do want to ask if there's, there's anyone listening that um, would like to maybe get in touch with you or, or learn more about what, what it is that you're doing. What's, what's the best way to do that? Uh, Emails is, is, the best and uh should i say my address or how should yeah I sure if you don't if you if, if that's okay for no, you no, it's, fine. it's fine no it's totally fine uh it's uh you know my name's paramon barcel and so it's the initials pb and then the number 2030 at com. so pb and like i say on the phone when i'm ordering things uh you know pb like peanut butter <laughs> they always get that <laughs> 2030 at gmail.com and yeah i'm very happy uh to uh be in touch with anyone about anything uh lakshmi and i both uh uh, uh enjoy talking to people uh who want to talk about yoga or anything else or people who would like to join our sutra study, which these days is by Zoom. We've got some folks from uh, uh, New Zealand and uh, Australia and, uh, you know, all parts of the U.S. Uh, it, it, it's wonderful uh, in a way, because when it was just in our living room, which I loved because we all got to hug one another, speaking of touch, uh, it was it was great. And I, I uh, could miss that, but at the same time, I'm getting to see all these old Sangha buddies that I wouldn't otherwise see uh, from all over the world. Not, not that we have a huge group. It's just the right size. 
so that we still have a nice discussion. So that's something that's available too, if people want to send me an email and say, I'd like to uh, check out the Sutra study. It's free, by the way. Mm. Perfect. Thank you so much again. Thank you, Avi. You're a great interviewer and uh, your questions were profound. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. If you've enjoyed this content and think others might as well, please feel free to share and subscribe.